Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com, and this is Antiwar News for Thursday, October 27th, 2022. First story at the top of Antiwar.com today. The U.S. accelerates plan to deploy upgraded nukes to Europe. So the U.S. has sped up plans to deploy an upgraded version of its primary nuclear gravity bomb to Europe amid heightened tensions with Russia over the potential use of nuclear weapons. So according to a cable obtained by Politico, uh, that cable reveals that U.S. officials told NATO allies in Brussels this month that they will send an upgraded version of the B-6112 air-dropped gravity bomb to Europe by December. That's this December. The upgraded bomb was originally set to arrive in Europe next spring. So this plan, it involves replacing the older weapons with the upgraded bombs at U.S. storage facilities in Europe. The U.S. keeps about 100 nuclear warheads at air bases in Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, Italy, and Turkey. So those, those are all the countries that are part of NATO's nuclear sharing program, which I've been talking about a lot with all this nuclear stuff that's been happening Um so the U.S. keeps nuclear weapons in all those countries. And the upgrade to the B-6112, it replaces non-nuclear components to make it more accurate. Um, and the upgrade is also designed so it can be carried by all U.S. and allied bombers and fighter jets, unlike older versions of the bomb. So this means um, that the, the countries that host these nukes will be able to drop them themselves if, if they want. I know, I'm not sure how each arrangement works, but I know in Germany they have a specific fleet of tornado fighters or bombers that that they keep to specifically uh, use them with these nuclear bombs if, if they ever have to or if they ever choose to. And they're actually looking to replace those planes with F-35, so that's a big deal uh, that's in the works. And again, just solely for the purpose of dropping these nuclear weapons, that's why they keep that fleet. Um, so accelerating this deployment, I mean, it doesn't really do too much except stoke tensions with Moscow. You know, the, the bombs, it's an upgrade. It makes them more accurate, but it's not that much of a difference. And why are you rushing it? Like, what reason is there to rush it? And Han, uh, Politico quoted Hans Christensen. He's the director of the Nuclear Information Project at the Federation of American Scientists. He described the plan as odd. He basically said that he doesn't understand it because they've been saying that they won't respond to the situation with nuclear weapons. So, you know, the U.S. and NATO have kind of been saying that. Um, so why, uh, why are they doing this then? And the revelation of the plan, it comes as both Russia and NATO are conducting nuclear exercises. And, you know, another strange thing that happened recently that I went over, I think it was last week, was a U.S. general, the head of Central Command, visited a U.S. nuclear armed submarine in the Arabian Sea. Um so apparently that that's never happened before. Uh, they've never revealed the location of these super stealthy Trident missile armed nuclear submarines unless they were in the waters, you know, the U.S. waters or waters controlled by an ally. It was unprecedented. You know, why why do that? You know, they must be trying to send some kind of message. 
um, with these with these steps that they're taking. And the next one here, uh, more about nuclear weapons. Finland is willing to host NATO nuclear weapons on its border with Russia. So NATO nuclear weapons could potentially be placed on Russia's border with Finland if Helsinki joins the Western Military Alliance. Newsweek reported on Wednesday, and they cited a Finnish newspaper. So this Finnish newspaper reported that the bill that the Finnish government will put before the country's parliament on joining NATO doesn't include any opt-outs opt for hosting nuclear weapons. And, you know, there's no preconditions. There's no um, restrictions on, on hosting nukes. Finnish military sources told the paper that Finland's foreign minister and defense minister committed to NATO back in July that they would not seek restrictions or, as they put it, national reservations if their application to join the alliance is accepted. And then Finland's president said earlier this month that they have no preconditions for joining NATO. Um, and while Finland may be willing to host nuclear weapons, it's unlikely that they would be placed in the country after it joins NATO, at least in the near future. Um, the prime minister of Finland, she recently said that NATO has not expressed interest in placing nuclear warheads in, in the country. And Currently, as things stand with NATO, they don't keep nuclear warheads in any of the countries that join NATO after the end of the Cold War, although Poland did say recently that it's had discussions about hosting weapons, nuclear weapons. They're saying they want U.S. nukes. Um, and placing nuclear weapons in Finland, I mean, that would be uh, such a major provocation toward Russia. I mean, the fact that they're even willing to do it, I think... Um, is concerning. They share an over 800 mile border with Russia. And Putin has said that he doesn't view Sweden and Finland joining NATO as a threat. Uh, and other Russian officials have said it too, they, that they don't view it as much of a threat as Ukraine doing it. Because as they put it, they don't have territorial disputes with Finland or Sweden. Um, but Putin did say he would respond to the expansion of NATO military infrastructure in the region. So if a nuclear weapon is put in, in Finland, I mean, there's going to be some sort of big major response. I mean, who knows what Russia would do in response to that or uh, if that was the plan, if it was revealed that they were going to do it. And so currently Finland and Sweden, they're still not NATO members. They've been ratified by 28 out of the 30 alliance members with only Hungary and Turkey to go. I believe Hungary has said, you know, that they're going to do it. And Turkey, they're still waiting on that deal. Uh, they want Sweden and Finland. It's mainly Sweden, this issue with they want to, them to extradite these suspected Kurdish militants, PKK members. Uh, but the big hang up seems to be over Sweden. I don't think it's really Finland, but I think they're going to go either go together or get rejected together. Uh, but I think that they're going to end up getting approved uh, eventually. All right, <clears throat> so the next one here, European allies worry that the U.S. might reduce support for Ukraine. So the Washington Post reported on Wednesday that the U.S.'s European allies are concerned that the U.S. may dial back its support for Ukraine if Republicans are victorious in the upcoming midterm elections. So far, spending billions on the war in Ukraine has had strong bipartisan support in Washington. The concern in Europe stems from recent comments made by House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. 
who said a Republican-controlled House won't be willing to write a blank check for Ukraine. But it's not really clear that a Republican majority would make that much of a difference as other GOP leaders downplayed McCarthy's comments and promised more aid for Ukraine. You know, over in the Senate, I mean, you got Mitch McConnell, and he's saying that a Republican-controlled Senate would focus on um, delivering weapons to Ukraine and, and more assistance to Ukraine. But McCarthy's comments still, you know, they've caused concern in Europe and and uh, they've made a pretty big deal about them here in the U.S. and in the media. And a European official told the Washington Post that um, European countries are still supporting Ukraine, that they haven't wavered, you know, that, that this is what they're saying. Uh, despite soaring energy prices and, and all the things, the inflation, the economic situation that they're dealing with, they're still supporting Ukraine. But this official said less support from the U.S. could could change things. Uh, the official said, quote, you could really imagine that if this were to falter within the United States, then the House of Cards would start falling, end quote. So, you know, if you look at the numbers, um, the U.S. is is by far, I mean, by such a huge margin, the, the largest contributor uh, of military and economic and all the aid that they're giving Ukraine. I mean, it's just not even close with any other countries. So I think if the U.S. did stop, I mean, not that they're going to stop. I guess that they're saying the concern is that it might be a little less and then European countries might have to pick up uh, pick up the tab a little more. But with the current situation, the state of things, the economic stuff, who knows if they can, if they would be able to do that, or Ukraine might just have to settle for uh, some less aid in that scenario. But <clears throat> I mean, it's pretty clear that Ukraine wouldn't really wouldn't be able to fight this war without all this support. Um, but the Ukrainians don't seem too worried about it. Uh, Ukraine's foreign minister Dmitry Kuleba he said on Wednesday that he was concerned with McCarthy's comments but that ultimately he thinks the aid will continue to flow. He said, quote, we are concerned with these statements. We believe they are unfair, but I think we'll fix it. And I'm certain that we will handle these risks effectively. And that aid to Ukraine will not be cut, end quote. So he's going to fix it. <laughs> um, but according, um, you know, McCarthy himself, he's been super, he's been all about sending tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine. Um, but his comments, you know, they're just really being, I think, kind of blown out of proportion and and being used, I think, uh, in kind of a nefarious way. Because as I went over this NBC News report last week that said this skepticism, that these comments from McCarthy uh, have prompted lawmakers, they said, in both parties, Republicans and Democrats, to seek a massive Ukraine aid bill before the new Congress is sworn in in January. So the idea would be to pass enough funds for an entire year, and it's expected to be worth roughly $50 billion, which would bring total U.S. spending on the war to over $115 billion. So Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi said the other day that more Ukraine aid is on the way uh, this fall. She, she's saying that they plan to pass more, so uh, we might see another huge bill come very soon. I mean... Man, just the numbers are outrageous. Uh, all right. So the next one we got Putin oversees Russian drills simulating retali retaliatory massive nuclear strike. So Putin on Wednesday, he observed Russia's military exercises 
where they did live fire drills. Um, they said, uh, the Kremlin said that under Putin's leadership, they held a training session with ground, sea, and air strategic deterrence forces. And Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu told the Russian leader, he told Putin that the missile launches were meant to simulate, quote, the tasks of carrying out a massive nuclear strike by the strategic nuclear forces in retaliation for the enemy's nuclear strike, end quote. So as part of the drills, a Yars land-based ICBM intercontinental ballistic missile was fired from the Plesix uh, Cosmodrome, which is a spaceport in northwest Russia. There is a, a ballistic missile was also launched from a submarine in the Barents Sea that's up in the Arctic. And two uh, TU-95MS long-range bombers fired two cruise missiles. So they simulated all aspects of their nuclear triad, um, land, sea, and air. And this coincided with NATO's nuclear, nuclear drills, which are being hosted by Belgium. Now, those drills, they don't include the live fire exercises, but they involve the simulation of nuclear strikes. And about 60 aircraft are participating, including American B-52 bombers and other nuclear-capable planes. And the drills are taking place over Belgium, Britain, uh, the UK, and, and the North Sea. And 14 NATO members are participating. So, yeah, I mean, this has just been, this is just going on, you know, with the backdrop of the current situation. Just so much talk about nuclear weapons. Um, but I need to take a moment to mention it's still our fundraiser and we have this awesome endorsement from roger waters and he put up 20 grand and this has really helped it's not just the money he he gave us but um our our donations have really spiked since we put this letter up so i think we're going to be able to wrap up pretty soon uh hopefully and we also have on today's page a great letter from uh, our friend caitlin johnstone who's uh just a great anti-war anti-imperialist writer very prolific i'm sure most people listening to this are familiar with her um but you know she uses our stuff a lot i noticed in, in her writing and quotes us a lot um so she wrote us a nice f fundraising letter and you go check that out it's in our viewpoint section and really what she says at the top is that antiwar.com is hands down the best outlet in the english-speaking world right now at keeping track of the day-to-day -day happenings of militarism and imperialism in real time. Over the last couple years or so, I've begun citing it in my own writings probably more than any other platform. The reason is that it compiles such accurate current records of the raw information about the U.S. war machine and its proxies and explains it all in clear language that anyone can understand. So that's just the first paragraph, but I think that's a pretty good one. Um, so it's just another awesome endorsement. Uh, you know, we've just gotten so many people, um, so many important voices to, to uh, you know, put themselves out there for us. And we really appreciate it. And I, I, I hope it shows that we're worth supporting. Um, so you go to antiwar.com slash donate. And again, we should be wrapped up soon. And then you don't have to hear me talking about this anymore but go check out the letter and if you're subscribed to our newsletters uh, it'll be sent out sometime on thursday okay so the next one here the u.s hits more iranian officials with sanctions over protests so the u.s on wednesday announced new sanctions 
on Iranian officials for their alleged role in cracking down on protesters inside Iran as demonstrations and violence continue across the country. So Blinken announced the sanctions, and he said that the U.S. will continue to find ways to support the protesters inside Iran. So the U.S. has been pretty outright, you know, saying that they support these demonstrators and the, uh, and that they're trying to help them. Um, and the new sanctions target 14 individuals and three entities. And the sanctions target members of the RGC, as well as Iranians working in the country's prison system and um, targeted companies that are accused of participating in censorship and surveillance of Iranians. So these new sanctions, they come, you know, talking about Iran, I'm usually talking about the Iran nuclear deal, the JCPOA, but that's, you know, those talks just seem to be totally dead. Um, they've been stalled and these and the U.S. just keeps adding sanctions. So that just goes to show that they don't seem interested in reviving the deal. And U.S. officials have said, I've seen a few of them. This is the line coming out of the State Department and the White House now is that the JCPOA is not their focus. Their focus is on looking for ways to support the protesters. So they're just outright saying that they're trying to, you know, kind of meddle inside Iran and. If you look at the rhetoric from Raisi, the president, and uh, the Ayatollah, it's they're just blaming everything on the U.S. and Israel. Um, I'll get a little more into that. Um, but when it comes to the JCPOA, they're saying it's not their focus. And also an Israeli official said on Wednesday, speaking to the Times of Israel, that the U.S. has soured on the possibility of resuming talks with Iran on the deal. So these protests um, have been going on for about 40 days now. Iran has accused the U.S. of fomenting the protests and the U.S. and Israel of fomenting them. And the Iranian officials have denounced them at ri as riots. And there has been a lot of violence um, both, you know, both ways, it seems like. Uh, but again, it's really tough when it comes to protests inside Iran to know exactly what's going on because there's just so much um our media in the West has, uh, you know, it, it just seems so propagandized when it comes to uh, covering stuff that's going on inside Iran. And Iranian officials, though, they've said that at least 30 security officials have been killed by demonstrators, including members of the IRGC. On Wednesday, Iranian media reported that an IRGC member was shot dead by what they called rioters. Um and it's not clear if the U.S. and Israel are involved in the violence, if, if they're, you know, how, if they're really involved in supporting, if giving these protesters material support. Uh, but Israel, it's worth pointing out, does have a long history of carrying out covert attacks inside Iran, including assassinations. Back in May, Israel was said to be behind the killing of an IRGC colonel in Tehran. And I, I said was said to be behind the killing, but I mean, we pretty much know for sure that it was Israel. And there's a string of other mysterious deaths around that time that Israel suspected of being behind. Um, so when, you know, you see Iranian officials blame everything on the U.S. and Israel, you know, they're, um, they're definitely, I would say, exaggerating, but it's not like it comes out of nowhere. Um, and more intervention, I think, kind of gives them, uh, it gives them an excuse to just blame everything on outside forces. Um, and the U.S. has signaled they ha that they are trying to give material support to the protesters by giving them better access to the Internet, which has been restricted. 
And uh, CIA Director William Burns, he was asked, uh, it was earlier this month in an interview, if the U.S. was getting involved. He, you know, just asked flat out, is the U.S. involved in the protests? And he said, quote, all I can say is we are going to continue to be strongly supportive as a government in the free flow of information, end quote. And they loosened some sanctions, so Starlink could be turned on in Iran, which is the SpaceX satellite internet terminals. The thing is, the Iranian government doesn't want people to have them. So if the U.S. wants them in the protesters' hands, they would have to smuggle them in, which, uh, but so far I haven't seen any sign that that's been happening. But there's just no chance, I don't think, of the Iran deal happening. All right, the next one, uh, the U.S. and its allies warn that a North Korean nuclear test would draw an unprecedentedly strong response. So this is Deputy uh, Secretary of State Wendy Sherman. She met with her Japanese and South Korean counterparts in Tokyo uh, to discuss North Korea. And South Korea's first vice foreign minister said that the officials agreed to increase cooperation and that they also agreed on the need for what he called an unprecedentedly strong response if North Korea proceeds with its seventh nuclear test. So North Korea has not conducted a nuclear test since 2017, but they have stepped up their missile tests um, and have launched a record number this year as the U.S. and South Korea have resumed war games, and they've been doing some tests in response. So tensions are really high, and as tensions grow, the Biden administration has not changed its approach to North Korea, and chances for diplomacy seem slim. The administration still insists on the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, but that's a non-starter for talks with North Korea. Um, Sherman, she also met with her Japanese and South Korean uh, counterparts the day before, or different officials, and that's when she threatened that the U.S. could use nuclear weapons to defend its allies from North Korea. She said the U.S., quote, will use the full range of U.S. defense capabilities to defend our allies, including nuclear, conventional, and missile defense capabilities, end quote. Um, so, you know, you say things like that, and then you want North Korea to give up its nukes. I mean, it doesn't seem like a smart strategy. All right, the next one here, um, this is from Middle East Eye, and it's just about how the war of words is escalating between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia over the OPEC oil cuts. Um, so there's just been a ton of stories about this, and uh, they're just uh, still mad at each other, it seems. But we haven't seen any uh, you know, concrete steps from the U.S. to really change things or, or reduce support for the Saudis like some Democrats want to. But I think they're just upset about midterms like most most things around this time of year. All right, the next one, Israel has bombed Syria again. Um, they launched missile attacks for the third time since Friday against the Syrian capital of Damascus. There had been a brief period without attacks, but now Israel seems to be re-escalating, though as usual, they are providing no reason for their strikes. Uh, this article is by Jason Ditz. And the attacks... On Wednesday, uh, they mirrored the others with the locals reporting explosions and some damage caused. State media said Syria had intercepted a number of the missiles that were fired. And uh, there's no casualties reported. It said that there was material damage. And um, that was the same thing on Friday, but 
So they attack Friday, Monday, and then Wednesday. Friday, material damage. Monday, one Syrian soldier was wounded. And then again on Wednesday, just uh, material damage. Um, but yeah, it looks like Israel's back to stepping up its strikes. They went about a month. It was about over one month without the, uh, bombing Syria, it looked like. But now they're really back at it. Um, three times within a week it is it seems like a lot for them. Um, so keep an eye on that for you. Uh, the last one here, this is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. Uh, the State Department hopes to find a third country to lead UN mission to Haiti within weeks. So they're still looking for some military intervention in Haiti. Officials in Washington say that the United States has not abandoned its efforts to find a country to lead a UN rapid response force in Haiti. Uh, the White House has proposed that a multilateral force could be deployed to the Caribbean nation. The State Department believes it will have a country prepared to lead the UN deployment by early November. So on October 18th, the U.S. and Mexico announced that they were preparing a UN resolution to authorize a military force to be deployed to Haiti. Earlier this week, the Miami Herald reported that Washington and Mexico City, that this initiative would likely fail as no country wanted to lead the force. And then on Wednesday, Assistant Secretary of State Brian A. Nichols said that the U.S. was still seeking a potential country to lead the force with an eye on Canada. Um, so he's saying that he's talked to dozens of countries and that they're supporting sending this force in. And Blinken is traveling to Canada this week, so he might uh, ask Canada to lead this military intervention in Haiti. And currently the way things are is that uh, there's huge protests been going on against the, the government of Ariel Henry, the prime minister. And he, um, there's uh, this group, I forget the name, but they took control. They blockaded a big fuel uh, facility in, in Haiti, and they're calling on him to step down. So the situation, there's a big uprising against the government, and they want to go in and help the Haitian police and military uh, put it down, it seems like. Um, but yeah, so far, haven't seen anything of a deployment actually happening. Although sometimes with something like this, it's really tough. Uh, they could do things pretty quietly sometimes. Uh, but that's it for the news for today. And uh, again, go check out that letter from Caitlin that we have. We also have a great one from uh, Ted Snyder titled, It is America's Obligation to Negotiate an End to the War in Ukraine, he's talking about. Um, but yeah, that's it for me for today. For the news, again, go to antiwar.com slash donate and uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you want to watch the video, we're also on Odyssey Rumble. You could listen to the audio version wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, that's it. I will catch you tomorrow with some more news. Thanks for listening.